Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. If you have a Bible, open it with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Today we are in the longest chapter of the book of John, and we have a lot of ground to cover this morning. But as we get going, I want you to remember the main point of the book of John. Uh, We talked about it week one. The main point, John's writing this. uh, He tells us actually in John chapter 20, verse 31, says, I'm writing these things. I'm writing this book to you so that you might believe, that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing, you might have eternal life. That's the reason. John writes this whole book to us. That's the reason we have these stories and these miracles and and different things. And and maybe you've experienced that recently. Like you've, for the first time, you've you've placed your belief and your trust in Jesus. Maybe you've done that. Uh, Maybe for some of you, you need to do that. And you've been feeling, you've been wrestling with this thing that it just feels like inside of you, something is just pulling you towards uh, the truth of this book. And maybe today is the day of your salvation where you finally surrender to him as Lord and King of your life. Maybe maybe that's you today. Um, If that's you, if you have submitted to Jesus but you haven't been baptized, I wanna encourage you to do that. That's the first step of publicly professing to the church family that you are a believer and trust in Jesus alone. And so in a couple weeks, it's actually uh, Super Bowl Sunday, uh, February 12th. We are gonna do uh, baptisms on that day. So if you need to be baptized, man, talk to me or Tyler after service. We wanna make sure that you have that opportunity. But that's been the point of John writing this book is I'm writing so that you would believe, right? So that you would believe. So in John chapter 6, like, this is an amazing account. Um, what we're going to see is, is a, a miracle. It's actually Jesus' largest public miracle that he does, and it's in all four of the gospel accounts. It's the feeding of the 5,000, right? You've probably heard this story at some, some point. All four gospels have it. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they just have the feeding of the 5,000. John includes a conversation that follows the feeding of the 5,000. And that's actually where we're gonna focus in this morning. But before we get to the conversation, like we need to understand the moment that led to the conversation. So look at John chapter six. Um, just the first, uh, starting in verse one, really, I, I don't have time to read all of it. Again, this is the longest chapter in John, but just kind of summarizing, Jesus is gonna perform, again, it's his largest public miracle. He's gonna feed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. Basically, it's a, it's a kid's lunchable. He's going to feed 5,000 people. In fact, it's more than 5,000 people because it says it was 5,000 men. And so you have to assume that their families would have been with them as well. And Jesus is going to take five loaves of bread, two fish, and he's going to feed everybody there. But as you're reading through that story, and I would encourage you maybe this afternoon, just go through and read it. It was Passover, it says, and Jesus sees this huge crowd of people coming to him. He, he had started to kind of make a name for himself because he was healing people and doing all these miracles and people were following after him. And so it says that he sees them coming and he asked one of his disciples, he asked Philip, he said, hey, uh, where are we gonna buy bread so that these people can eat? And I love what John says, John the writer says, 
uh, in verse six, he says, he asked him this to test him because he knew what he's gonna do. You know, Jesus was just messing with Philip. He knew that he was gonna provide bread. That's what Jesus was going to do. And Philip answered, he's like, man, it would take a ton of money to feed all of these, these people. And then one of the disciples, Andrew, said to Jesus, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus says, have them sit down. And he takes that bread and he blesses it and, and he begins to uh, just spread it out to the people. The disciples start taking it out to everybody there. And, and, and it says that everybody ate until they were full, right? So it's not like everybody just gets a little pinch. Uh, everybody ate until they were full. And then not only that, they take up 12 baskets of leftovers. Like this is, a, this is an amazing story. Uh, there's some wrong thinking on this that maybe Jesus accomplished this because he saw uh, the little boy's generosity and sharing his lunch inspired everybody else to start sharing their lunch. That's not true, right? This is Jesus multiplying this food and feeding everybody. He came to bring bread, right? And, and in this moment, Jesus is like a rock star. He's a superstar. People are just like going crazy over what he just did, right? And it says, John says in verse 14 and 15 that the people um, actually wanted to make him king. Like they saw this amazing act and, and Jesus said he knew that they were about to make him their king, but he wasn't ready to be that kind of earthly king. He wasn't gonna be just the one that overthrows Rome or something like that that they were expecting. And so Jesus disappears. He takes off, right? Uh, he gets... He gets out of there. And, and then there's this whole scene of, of Jesus walking on the water. Like John only gives us a few verses um, there, but, but Jesus, he, he gets away from the crowd. His disciples get in a boat and start taking off across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus didn't go with them. And, it, and we're gonna find out that the crowd sees him not getting in that boat, right? So he doesn't get in the boat. They go out there. It says three or four miles offshore and a storm hits and the disciples are scared. And then they see Jesus walking towards them. It says, fear not, it's me. Whatever, you know how Jesus does things. And then he gets in the boat and then John is like, and immediately they were at shore. But it's, I mean, it's funny because like you read in the book of Matthew, it's like there was this whole thing with Peter <laughs> that took place where Peter's like walking on the water with Jesus and didn't have the faith and all that. And I think it's kind of funny, um, just a side note, I think it's kind of funny uh, that John doesn't include that whole thing with Peter. They seem to maybe have a little bit of beef or some kind of rivalry going on. At the end of the book of John, John uh, makes sure that we know that he's faster than Peter. You know, uh, on the way to the tomb, John's like, by the way, I'm faster than Peter. I beat him there. And then here in the, in the story of Jesus walking on the water, John doesn't include this amazing moment with Peter. So I don't know what's going on there with those guys. But anyway, the point is, Jesus walks on the water and they are now on the other side, all right? They're in another town. So Jesus feeds 5,000 people and then they jet, okay? And it says that the crowd was looking for him. Look at verse 22, we'll pick up there. It says the next day, okay? So the next day, Jesus had just done the amazing miracle of feeding the 5,000 and walking on water. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. So they saw that. And some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, 
They got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. That's the major theme we're going to talk about today, looking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So like they saw that Jesus wasn't in the boat and then they, they walk around or they sail across, however they get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, there Jesus is. They're like, we, we didn't see you get, how'd you get here, right? They're, they're confused. And what we see here, okay, this is the whole direction that we're heading is they're looking for Jesus. They're looking for him, but they're looking for him in all the wrong ways, okay? They're looking for Jesus in all of the wrong ways. So look at verse 26. This is the main chunk of our text this morning, all right? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. And Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign, then, are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to, what are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And he says, this is a massive statement, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. So that's what we're looking at this morning. And I know that just reading through that, it's a bit confusing. So I hope to maybe help clarify what's going on here. But, but the crowd is coming. They're chasing after Jesus. They're looking for him, but they're looking in all the wrong ways. I've got three ways that they're looking in the wrong way. Number one, they, they're looking for Jesus with wrong motives. They have wrong motives. Like it, it says in verse 24, they are looking for Jesus. They're chasing him across to the other side. So we know that they're motivated, right? They, they're motivated to go after him, but John says they're looking with wrong motives. In fact, Jesus says in, John, in verse 26, he says, you're looking for me, but really you're just looking for food, right? You're just looking for food. You just like what I gave you. You like free food, essentially is what Jesus is saying. And it's like, who doesn't like free food? You know what I mean? Um, I, I spent the, the early parts of my ministry journey working with college students, and I learned very quickly that the fastest way to surround yourself with a bunch of college students is free food, right? They're just like vultures, man. They'll just show up out of nowhere for some free food. But I like free food as well. And apparently this crowd, this hungry crowd likes free food as well. And they're saying like, he gives free food. So we're willing to chase him across because we know he can make food appear from nowhere. And they're like, all hell the bread king. Let's make him king. He gives us the bread, right? That's what they're saying. But really they're just looking for food. And this whole passage centers around bread. Do you notice that? Just over and over again, just this idea of bread is, is brought up. And we easily understand our need for food, especially when we're hungry, don't we? And they were hungry. Jesus fed them yesterday, now it's today and they're hungry. I love how Jesus does that. He always uses really practical things to, to, to show a very important need. If you think about the lady in chapter four, the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus used what? Water. 
to, to prove to her her deep need that she had. And he's doing that here with bread. That's exactly the same thing that he is, he's doing. This hungry crowd is looking for bread, right? And Jesus says in verse 26, truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, not because you saw me feed 5,000 people, but because you were filled. The words there for were filled is literally, uh, it would translate to, to the way that an animal is satisfied after eating. It's like talking about eating hay or something. That they're satisfied with it. So it's an animalistic type of, uh, I, I need to eat, I ate, now I'm, I'm happy, right? He says, that's why you've come to me. They're not coming to him because they realize that this guy who did that crazy thing uh, with, the, with the five loaves of bread and two fish is God in the flesh. They're not putting all that together. They just like the stuff that he gives them, right? They just like, they just like the stuff. And I think people today are, are probably no different, right? A lot of people just like what we get out of Jesus, you know, and maybe that could, that could look different ways for us. Maybe we just like the feeling of, of being a part of a church, you know, just being a part of, a, of something that's bigger than us, something that's some kind of movement for good in this world. That's a popular thing today. People want to be a part of charitable organizations and doing things like translating the book of John so the people in India can hear it. Like, we like that kind of thing. And so maybe there's some of us who just really like Jesus because of the thing, the way that it makes us feel about being a part of it. Maybe we just like the community aspect of following Jesus, like the friends that we're able to have, you know, the, the people that we, that we meet. Maybe we, maybe we think by following Jesus that we're going to have some kind of blessed life or, or some kind of pain-free type of existence. Or, or, or maybe we just think if we just do the right things, right, then Jesus is going to give us the stuff and we're going to pass the test and we're going to get the job. Maybe that's the motivations. And, and I know that we would never say it out loud, but I think a lot of us just like the stuff that Jesus brings to us, Right? We just like all the stuff that comes with him. But the point here in this story is clear. You don't come to Jesus to get something. You don't. He's not just a useful accessory to your life. In fact, he says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the life. Right? So he's not just a bonus. He's not, he's not like a side dish that we just add to make our life better. Right? And so the question for us then is this. What are you looking for? You know, this crowd was motivated. They were looking for something. And I think the point here is clear for us. Jesus has shown us that we're all looking for something. We all have this hunger, this craving that's inside of us. And so the question is, do you want Jesus or, just, or do you just want the stuff? Like the stuff that goes with him. He, he's clear to say that the stuff perishes. The, the stuff goes away. He says, verse 27, that food perishes. What they were looking for doesn't last, which explains, by the way, why they chased him to the other side of the sea. They're hungry again. It was the next day. Even the miracle bread that Jesus gave them didn't last. They had to come find more. And so don't miss, don't miss the point here. Everything that we chase to fill that deep hunger inside of us has an expiration date. Everything except for Jesus. And the point he's making here is this, all you need is me. He's saying, I I'm not here just to fill your empty stomachs. I'm not here just to bring you 
the stuff. I'm here to bring you bread that will actually fill the craving of your soul. And so they come to him with wrong motives. Number two, they come to him with wrong eyes. Wrong eyes. Um, We see that in verse 30 through 33. Now, we talked about everything that they just saw yesterday. Jesus doing the whole miracle thing, walking on water. And they say in verse 30, what sign are you gonna do so that we can believe? (laughs) They, They actually say, perform for us. Like, can we just talk about how ridiculous that is for just a second? Like, these are the people who literally sat on a hillside and watched Jesus feed 5,000 people with like a Happy Meal. You know what I mean? Like, they just saw Jesus take these few pieces of bread and a couple people, pieces of fish and, and fill up 5,000 plus people and then, by the way, take up 12 baskets of leftovers. They just saw that, but apparently that wasn't good enough, you know? That, was, that wasn't good enough. God has fully revealed himself through this miracle to them, and they're like, yeah, I'm probably going to need to see more, you know? I'm probably going to need to see more. Listen, some people are just skeptics, right? Like Jesus could step out of heaven and come down and have coffee with them and explain everything in their life and everything that they need to do, and they're going to be like, I don't know, I just need, I'm just waiting on a sign from, from the Lord, And we think, if I could just see more, if I could just know more, then I would believe, then I would follow him. And I had this thought this week as I was studying this, is what if Jesus has already given us everything that we need to believe? And now he's just trying to see if you have any faith, you know? Like this faith piece is a pretty big part of the whole puzzle whenever it comes to following Jesus. And and, and he's given us everything that we need to believe. He's just seeing if we have faith. In verse 31, they're like, if you could just give us another sign. Maybe some manna like Moses provided. That's what they say. Maybe some manna like Moses provided. So you need to understand the backstory of what they're talking about there. In Exodus chapter 16 uh, is a story of God providing manna to the people in the wilderness. Like he has just freed the Israelite people from 400 years of slavery in Egypt and like, these are the people who were, they were in slavery. God rescues them from the hand of Pharaoh, leads them, parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry ground. Then they see the sea close over uh, the, the Egyptian army and God has rescued them, all right? And a couple of days later, they're saying, really missed the food back in Egypt, you know? I, I, at least there we could have steak and they're complaining about that. And you ever read the Bible and you're like, seriously? Like, how, do, how are people like that? Like, how do people miss everything that God has done for them? And in this moment, like in Exodus 16, God in his kindness starts making them breakfast every morning. And he provides what's called manna. It's this bread that would fall from heaven, Exodus 16 says. And, and it says that it's like this uh, sweet wafer type of bread. And I don't, know about, I don't know about you, but I like to think of it as like cinnamon toast crunch. Right? And it's just, it's just there every morning for them, the sweet wafer type of bread. Exodus 16.4 says, then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. Like you, you want some food? Okay, I'm going to rain some bread from heaven for you. That's a wild thought, isn't it? Like what would you do if you woke up tomorrow morning and there's just cinnamon toast crunch everywhere on the ground? You know, it's just falling. That's the best day ever, right? That's an amazing way to start a day. And it says that they saw it, and they asked, they said, 
what is this? Which we would have asked the same thing. And Moses answered them and said, this is the bread that God provided. He's providing bread for us. And God does that for 40 years. For 40 years, every morning they wake up, God has provided bread from heaven for them to eat until the day they walk into the promised land. Every day, new manna for them to eat, he provided. And now these people are looking at Jesus and going, let's see it. Do something like Moses did. You fed us one day, he fed the people for 40 years, right? So let's see, let's see what you can do. Do something like that. And Jesus quickly corrects their wrong eyes here. In verses 32 and 33, Jesus very quickly is like, let's make one thing clear. It, it wasn't Moses who provided the manna, it was God. And then he also says that God is still sending bread from heaven. God is still sending bread from heaven that brings life. So in this moment, Jesus is telling them, as they're coming to him, looking with wrong eyes, he says, you don't need to see more. You have everything that you need to believe standing right in front of you right now, right? So he corrects their wrong eyes. Number three, they come to him with wrong understanding. Wrong understanding. We see that in verse 34 and 35. You know, misunderstandings are just kind of a part of our day, aren't they? You ever, you ever get frustrated whenever somebody doesn't understand the things that you're saying? Happened to me twice, just this weekend. Friday, um, well, I guess back up, I guess it was on Wednesday, uh, a guy here in our church, he called me um, and said, hey man, let's go get some lunch. Um, I was like, yeah, I'd love to. He goes, are you free Thursday or Friday? I said, actually, I'm not. I, I'm busy, I'm not typically busy, so if you ever wanna go get lunch, hit me up, I'll go. But I said, how about next week, right? How about next week, maybe Tuesday? And he said, yeah, that sounds great. Let's go Tuesday. We're gonna go at 11.30 to this place called O'Malley's, right? Tuesday, 11.30 at O'Malley's. So Friday, I'm sitting at my house and I'm working on some stuff. And at 11.30, I get a text from him. He said, O'Malley's, right? I was like, yep, O'Malley's. He goes, cool, I'm here. And I was like, oh, boy. And I said, we said Tuesday. He goes, I'm pretty sure we said Friday. <laughs> and I was like, ah, you know. And so anyway, we worked it out. We'll be there Tuesday at 11.30 at O'Malley. So if you're free, you can, <laughs> you can come join us. But we got that worked out. Friday night, uh, I was at my son's ball game with, with my family. And we're sitting there watching the game. And before the game, my son had said, um, I'm pretty sure we're playing Carson's team tonight. And Carson goes to our church. and. And stuff, and so we're sitting there watching the game, and I leaned over to Abby, my wife, and I said, "Hey, um, which one's Carson?" I'm trying to see of the kids playing the game on the other team, which one is Carson? And she goes, uh, "That's Wes and Daphne's son." And I said, "No, which one?" She said, "Wes and Daphne's son." I said, "No, which one?" And she said, "Wes and Daphne's son." And my head almost exploded right there in the gym. You know, I was like, and she's finally like, "The one sitting by them," and I was like, "Ah, you know, it was just, it was crazy." And so I imagine, like, as Jesus is always explaining things and he's always being misunderstood, do you think he ever got frustrated with that, right? Like, he's saying, you need bread. You need bread. I've come to give you real bread. And they're like, all right, great. Give us some bread in verse 34. It sounds a whole lot like the Samaritan woman at the well, doesn't it? Whenever Jesus is like, you're, you need living water. And if you drink this living water, you're never gonna thirst again. And she says, okay, great, give me some of this water so that I don't have to keep coming back to this well, right? It's kind of the same thing this crowd is saying here. Again, they're looking for real bread. And in this moment, it's massive. Jesus says, 
I am the bread of life. Like as clearly as he can say it, like they've got all these misunderstandings and he just as clear as he can possibly say it, he goes, the whole time I've been talking about me, I am the bread of life. He can't say it any clearer. He came to be bread, not bring bread. And he's showing them in this moment that they need more than what they're looking for. Like they're coming looking for just this bread because they feel these hunger pangs inside of them and they're, they're misinterpreting those things. They're misunderstanding what they're feeling, this deep craving inside of their soul. And Jesus is trying to show them what will actually feel, fill their need. He's saying, you need the bread of life. Now, when he says life, you need to understand something here. Um, life, in the English, we have one word for that, don't we? Life. In Greek, they have two words. They have a word called bios, which is just referring to physical life. It's where we get our word biology, right? So just physical life, how your body functions, uh, the necessary qualities that it takes to breathe in and out and, and go another day, bios. But the other word is zoe, and zoe refers to a quality of life. It's a deep meaning of life. It's purpose in life. The best way I can explain that to you is if you've ever been like sitting on the beach or something like that, and you're just like, ah, oh, this is the life, right? You're not referring to how your cells are working inside of your body in that moment. You're not talking about how you're breathing in air and, and you're, you're sustaining your life. You're talking about quality of life, meaning and purpose in life in that moment. And Jesus here uses the word zoe. I'm the bread of zoe, the great quality, purpose, and meaning of life is found in me. He's saying, I'm not just talking about bread that just keeps you alive physically, like you're talking about. I'm talking about the bread that brings eternal zoe, meaning and purpose. See, we have a longing for zoe type of life, but we chase bread that is by us. And those kind of things will always go away. You'll always need more of it. Right? That's why that the shiny part of that new thing that you desperately wanted and thought that you would make would make you really happy, the shiny always wears off of it, doesn't it? That's that's why that dream job that you always wanted is now impossible to get motivated for. We have a deep craving, a longing for more, and we try to fill it with all kinds of other stuff that Jesus is saying it never will fill that void. It never will. And so the clear main point of this story, I told you last week, I told you that, that miracles in the Bible, Jesus never does them just randomly or haphazardly. There's always a deeper point, right? And the clear main point of this whole interaction, the whole feeding of the 5,000, all of it is for Jesus to point to these people and teach them that the bread that you really need is the bread of life. What you really need is Jesus. And we're like, all right, great. We finally understand. We, we got it, right? We got it. Jesus is saying he's the bread of life and we need him. Now what? And Jesus says, great. You got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it's like, what? <laughs> That's wild, right? Jesus is always saying weird stuff. Um, but I feel like that kind of takes, takes the cake. I want you to see it. John chapter 6, verse 53. So Jesus said to them, 
Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Now, I want you to be clear. He's not condoning cannibalism. <laughs> He's not. And, you know, this is where uh, Catholicism gets the idea that, that whenever they take the Lord's Supper that it actually turns into the flesh and blood of Jesus. As Protestants, we don't believe that. Jesus isn't being literal in this in this moment. We know that because verse 63 says, the words I'm speaking to you are spirit. He doesn't say the words I'm speaking to you are literal, right? These words are spirit. And he does that a lot. He uses extreme illustrations to prove very important lessons. He said one time, if, if, your, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble, then pluck it out. And we know that he's not being literal on that because we would all be walking around like pirates, wouldn't we? Right? So what's he saying? What's he saying? Well, imagine you're starving. Like it's been a long day, you haven't eaten anything. And there's this growling in your stomach. And so you go to Texas Roadhouse. That place is awesome, right? You go to Texas Roadhouse and they set down that basket of bread right in front of you. And those rolls, oh, those are so good. What do you do? You just look at them? No, you eat like five or six of those bad boys, don't you? Like you slather the butter all over them and you, you go to town. Why? Because bread only does you good if you eat it, if you consume it, right? And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's using this picture of eating bread to explain belief. That's the whole point of John. I want you to believe. And Jesus uses this picture of consuming bread to teach us about belief. And we know that's what he's doing because Jesus already told us that life comes through believing in verse 35 and 47. But it's not just easy believism. It's not just going, yeah, okay, I guess I'm a Christian. I guess I believe in Jesus, whatever. It's not just raising your hand. It's not just praying a prayer. It's not just walking an aisle and then kind of getting along with your day. It's not easy believism. It's a belief that is deep inside of you, that you've consumed, right? It's, it's an understanding. It's, it's trusting in him alone to sustain you. It's a deep sense that you're gonna die if you don't have him. It's knowing that he gives life and nothing else will. That's what believing in Jesus is. So as Tyler comes back up, I, I wanna show you something um, extremely sad in this story. So we've, we've followed this huge mob of hungry people across the Sea of Galilee to, to find Jesus. We found him, we've had this whole conversation with him. He's correcting all of our, of our wrong reasons for coming to Jesus, like we're in the crowd. And then we see the crowd respond. Look at verse 60. It says, therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? 
like, I don't know, Jesus, like this whole thing, like you're the bread of life, only you bring satisfaction, only you bring this Zoe type of life and we gotta consume you. I don't know, like this is, this is too, too difficult. In verse 66, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Just yesterday, they were ready to crown him king. Just yesterday, they were sitting there as he, as he shares this meal with them and feeds them and fills them up and they take up 12 baskets of leftovers and like they chase him around because they're looking for him. They want more of what he brings. And now today, they're, they're turning and leaving him. The crowd that came looking for him has missed him. See, if, if you're just following Jesus for the stuff you like, what will you do when the stuff goes away? What will you do when, when things get hard? What will you do when things change? Right? In verse 67, Jesus looks at his 12 disciples. says, so Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? And then Peter answers him. And I love this answer. He says, where else are we going to go? <laughs> where else are we going to go? And then he says, because only you have the words of eternal Zoe. Only you have the words of eternal life. So you got to understand, man. When you follow Jesus, you get Jesus. You get Jesus. He's not promising a bunch of stuff. He's not promising blessings and a pain-free pain life. But you get him. And he's all you need. He's all you need. Only Jesus can fill the emptiness that's inside of you. Only Jesus can quiet the growling of your soul. And only Jesus can bring life. Zoe. And maybe you're here and you need to know him. Maybe you're here and you've never surrendered your life to him. You've never believed in the way that I'm talking about. Like it's a deep belief that you consume everything about him, understanding that outside of him is death. Anything outside of him is gonna fade away, but he brings life. He brings meaning and purpose and quality to your life that you're searching for. And maybe you need to trust him today. I would encourage you, man, today is the day of your salvation. What are you looking for? You'll find it in Him. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.